Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. All eyes are on the ACC, and we are thrilled to be talking about it right here on Action Packed here on the FFSN College Football Network. I am Corey Cohen, and with me, as always, my esteemed co-host, Andy Pregler. Andy, how are you? I am feeling just as good as the ACC should be feeling this week, uh, minus one particular orange team from south of the Mason-Dixon line. <laughs> yeah, you had to you had to specify which uh, which orange team. Well, no, Syracuse is feeling good, but certainly one team is not feeling good. One very very orange team. Uh, let's just get right into it because we'll we'll talk about the other ACC games. We'll talk about realignment. We'll preview next week, but let's get right into it. The story that not only is ACC World talking about, but all of Sports World is talking about, and that is the game between Clemson and Duke. The Blue Devils took out ninth-ranked Clemson in the opening game of the season in front of the entire nation, 28-7 to the final score. My goodness, what a game. Andy, what are your initial thoughts on this one? Listen, tremendous upset. I, I don't think you can take anything away from a Duke team that we both – said last week pretty good um mike elko and has that team really well coached oh yeah however you make four trips into the red zone and don't get any scores and you start looking at the game state you start looking at the stats the the score line flatters duke in a way that probably it shouldn't but uh clemson even if they convert on all those opportunities I don't think it fundamentally changes the game all that much because we saw two things that I thought were really worrying if you're a Clemson Tiger. Uh, The offense is all kinds of disjointed. And yes, you're bringing in a new OC in Garrett Riley. Yes, you've got a new quarterback. But the offensive line did not look good enough to be running a ground-first attack, which is a big problem when your second issue is that those wide receivers did not look great. And this was a talking point all offseason with Clemson. Like, why didn't they hit the portal harder? Why didn't they go after some of the bigger name four and five star wide receivers that were available? And the answers are going to be less than satisfactory because Dabo has made it pretty clear he doesn't want to play that game in recruiting. And it's just really hard to look at what happened with Clemson and their approach to roster building and what Florida State did, and oh, Florida yeah. State's approach to roster building. Oh, yeah. And you see where the sport is going 
And I cannot imagine that if you're Clemson booster fan admin, you're going to let this stand after that kind of performance. Yeah, we'll talk about Florida State in a minute. But one player that you're watching that Clemson game and you're seeing Kate Klubnick try to throw it and you're seeing receivers drop passes. And the thought I had was, wow, they could really have used Keon Johnson at Florida State. They could have used him, that that transfer. They they could have made a run at him, maybe. There there were a lot of names in the portal in one way shape or form and obviously you know uh, one of the things that i think we will also talk about unc in a bit here unc their top option is a kent state transfer so it's not necessarily like the best receivers are always coming from the big name schools uh but man if if you're if you are like a clemson tiger fan and you're looking at the score final score 28 to 7 um but the box score, you know, Riley Leonard passed for only 175 yards. Uh, but credit to the Duke offensive line because 199 rushing yards, sack adjusted, uh, 6.6 yards per carry. Uh, Duke was just able to impose their will on what we thought was going to be one of the best front sevens in the country, let alone the ACC. And Duke punched them in the mouth and Clemson didn't have a response. Absolutely. And and as you said, the running game, amazing. Riley Leonard, he did a lot on the ground as well as in the air. To me, it just comes down to one play that I think is going to haunt Clemson fans' dreams for the rest of this season. And it, who knows how long this little rut they're in could last. But this could be sort of the first sign of the end of the Clemson dynasty. I know last year was a down year, but I think everyone expected, oh, it's a one-off. It was the quarterback. Now the club Knicks here, things are going to turn around. But early in the fourth quarter, Duke is up 13 to seven. Clemson has the ball first and goal on about the one. And by all expectations, yeah, it was, it's been a sloppy game, but Clemson will score a touchdown here. They'll go up a point, And from there, they should be able to manage and get a win. It won't be impressive. We talked about it in last week's pod that Clemson often will have unimpressive wins. They'll struggle with teams that they should be a lot better than, but they'll eke out a win. And in that play, we see a fumble and then a Duke return to go nearly all the way down the field. Just absolutely incredible backbreaker for Clemson. I know at the end of the play, it was still 13-7 to Duke, but from then on out, Clemson was done. That seemed to break their spirits for the game, maybe for the season, maybe for a while. It was such a monumental play on that fumble and then the return in what should have been Clemson, again, just taking that, going up, and likely being in some form of control for the rest of the game. From then on out, it was all Duke. They went, they scored a touchdown, and for the rest of the game, Clemson looked lost. That play to me is such a flashpoint, again, in the game, in this season, and maybe beyond that. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I think that we are in a interesting position now where Clemson has two weeks to kind of lick their wounds. You know, they play Charleston Southern, and then they play uh, FAU, both in Death Valley, before they welcome Florida State, uh, to Death Valley in what will probably be an ACC title game preview. Um, but if they lose that game, they have two ACC losses, and that opens the door for so many other teams to sneak into the title game. Um, like uh, They're going to have a must-win game in Week 4, and then in Week 5, they travel up to the Carrier Dome to play Syracuse, a team that the last time that Clemson looked this vulnerable with a weak quarterback and a weak offensive line, uh, Syracuse beat them. Uh, in the Carrier Dome, uh, and it's I'm not calling for that upset yet. I still think Clemson's the vastly superior team, but we've seen, like you were kind of mentioning, we've seen the story with Clemson before when they have certain pieces that are less than ideal. The recipe on how to beat them is pretty predictable. It's you know let them make mistakes on special teams, uh, prevent them from scoring touchdowns in the red zone because they're not really able to. Uh, make big plays happen anywhere else on the field. And then defensively, they just lack that, you know, that killer instinct that the best Clemson teams have. And I think that it's nice for Clemson that they have this two week to get right, but I'm looking for dominance in the next two games. Otherwise 
Uh, after what we saw from Florida State on on Sunday night, I don't know if this is going to be a competitive title race, uh, at least in terms of Clemson versus FSU. Well, it's yeah, it's funny because you mentioned that week four, Clemson versus Florida State, you said likely ACC title game. And certainly before Monday night, that's what everyone was thinking. And now it's it's, you know, Lee Corso, not so fast, my friend. Now it's I don't know, because Clemson certainly is going to be the underdog in that game against Florida State. And assuming Florida State wins that game, which we'll talk about their game against LSU in a second. And they look really good. If Clemson loses that, it's two losses. They're likely done. I mean, they are likely out of chances, especially if UNC continues to look good. Duke could look good. Pitt could look good. Obviously, it's very early in the season, but two losses very well could knock Clemson out of the chance at playing in the ACC championship. And by week four, it's looking more likely than not that they will have two losses. And that's not even getting to at Syracuse, at Miami, at NC State, and versus North Carolina. This goes. This went from Clemson maybe one loss on the season to it's looking like two, maybe three, maybe four. Who who knows? Maybe even five. Things so quickly turned from Clemson going from playoff contender to this could get out of control real fast. Yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head here is that we will know basically week four to week seven if Clemson is going to recover from this because they have no margin for error in any of those games and they're playing really solid teams that can replicate what Duke did. And I think that's the part that if you're Dabo and you're the that coaching staff, uh, you have to flip the script literally in terms of how teams are going to challenge you from here on out because what Duke did, very repeatable. Absolutely. And and for Dabo, there's talk maybe he's peaked. Maybe he was great with Deshaun Watson. He was great with Trevor Lawrence. He was great with some phenomenal defensive linemen that they recruited. And now that the transfer portal is becoming more of an issue that he's not really going after, now that he doesn't have a superstar quarterback, maybe Clemson has peaked. I mean, Clemson, for so long, they weren't known for being a title contender. For so long, they were known for being a very good team that would come close and then collapse at the end. Clemsoning was a verb. And we could very well see that go back to being the case. Same with, again, we'll talk about them in a second, but Florida State, they went from being a, t a title contender to, in the last eight years, they haven't done much at all. And so no team is guaranteed, no program is guaranteed to be at the top of their conference for years. There's a chance that we could see Clemson on the downslope, specifically Dabo Sweeney as the head coach. Maybe he's peaked, maybe the it's it got as good as it's going to get i'm i'm not gonna quite write them out yet just because the recruiting is so high um the the a booster spending is comparable to what you see at other big programs i do think that there's a level of infrastructure in place there that uh can can maintain a high floor but i do think that we saw at the end of last year Dabo and his team started struggling with a type of team that normally they used to put away there. Uh, Bill Connolly of uh, ESPN used to host a podcast podcast. Ain't played nobody uh, shout out and RIP to that show, but they used to have a bit about Clemson where a Dabo Sweeney team used. It didn't matter how good you were. First half was Dabo and Clemson taking a pulse, taking a punch from you uh, limiting the damage, but also kind of holding a little bit in reserve. And then Clemson would win the third quarter, first three drives of the first of the third quarter. Clemson would almost always get the ball to start the half. They'd have a big defensive stop. They'd get another score. Boom, game's out of hand before you even get midway through the third quarter. And other teams have caught up to that. And we saw in this Duke game that Duke was incredibly strategic with their clock management uh, they were, they knew exactly when to take risks and when not to take stupid shots down, down deep. Um, even, uh, when they were presented with opportunities, maybe baited into by the Clemson defense. Uh, I thought that Duke just played a really intelligent game. And if other teams aren't going to fall for that Clemson stuff anymore, if Clemson doesn't have the game plan edge anymore, 
it comes down to talent and the gap between what Clemson has in the key areas of a football team are just not as large as they used to be. Uh, Duke had an entire returning defensive line going up against an offensive line that everybody knew was the weak spot of Clemson. And Duke won that matchup pretty handily, and that set the tone for the whole game. That is not going to be the best off or the best defensive line that this Clemson team faces for the rest of the year. And that is scary. Absolutely. And before we move on, we I do think we have to to give major props to Duke. Obviously, Clemson made a ton of mistakes. It was a bizarre game, but Duke played really well. As you said, they they managed the game. They managed the lead. They didn't make stupid mistakes. They didn't have silly turnovers. They Riley Leonard had a really good game. The Duke defense was excellent. And Mike Elko, he's a really good head coach. He showed up to Duke last year after David Cutcliffe just ran out of steam as head coach, turned that program around, they had a really good season, and it's looking like they're going to have just as good, if not a better season, this year. And it's tricky because with Duke football, they've been known for being bad, but they have the ability as a program to be good. Yes, they're a basketball school, but that doesn't mean that they can't also compete in football. They still have so many of the same advantages in football in that it's a great academic school, which also obviously makes it difficult in terms of recruiting. But it is a great academic school. It's got a great campus. It's in a lovely location. The athletic department is prestigious. It's There's just so much that Duke has going for it. It's almost unfair, really, that, that their Olympic sports are great, men's basketball, that football lacking was honestly kind of surprising. I think we all got used to it. But when you think about it, it makes sense that, yeah, this this program can be pretty good. And Mike Elko, in just two years, seems to have turned it around. He's he's come from Texas A&M, where he was the defensive coordinator. Originally, he was from Jersey and went to school at Penn. And he's turned Duke into what looks to be a really good program. He could be a top coach when it comes to any coaching vacancies this offseason, next offseason. I'm sorry to say for Duke fans, but... I don't know if he's long for being the Duke head coach because he seems to be a phenomenal leader of that program. Yeah. And he's got ACC ties. He was on the, you know, he was uh, previously at Texas A&M with Jimbo Fisher and the Texas A&M situation is incredibly volatile. Uh, but you've got a situation where this is a guy who clearly has the bona fides, clearly knows how to build a program. Uh, and also knows how to maintain defensive first guy, which I think is why, you know, Duke was able to snag him. You typically see these defense first guys not get the shine that the offensive first guys get. Um, but I think Elko has shown that if you bring him into your program, he's going to raise that floor pretty significantly. Uh, we don't know necessarily if he's going to be able to have that ceiling of taking a program to the ACC title game, but Duke's in the driver's seat right now. Uh, they they control their own destiny in, ter- in regards to the ACC uh, regular season. And that is not a sentence I thought I'd say after week one. <laughs> it's definitely a surprise. I don't think uh, many of us or any of us had Duke being in a better situation than Clemson. Let's move on and talk about another key matchup of the week. A huge game between fifth-ranked LSU and eighth-ranked Florida State. And Florida State, at halftime, it was a close game. LSU had a three-point lead. It was 17-14. to 14. And then the second half, the Seminoles just turned it on. They were dominant. They ended up winning 45-24, to a huge statement victory. Andy, what did you think about this game? I was high on LSU before this game. I think we both were talking about how um, we thought that, you know, uh, FSU matched up really well with LSU, but that both of these teams were really solid. Um, But what really stuck out to me was something that, uh, the second half uh, of this game. So uh, this is from ESPN. First 23 minutes of the second half, Florida State had 246 yards. LSU only had 55. Uh, FSU had 9.5 yards per play. LSU only had 37. And in that, and with those, uh, you know, with those yards of, uh, per play, FSU went up 24 nothing in those 23 minutes. And that is the story of the game. Do it, and like we we talked about it with Clemson. Like that is the Clemson formula: hang tight until halftime, make the adjustments, come out swinging, and put the game in the rearview mirror. And I didn't think that Florida State and Mike Norvell had that in them, 
but they had the talent to execute on it if they had the right game plan. And the fact that they were able to do this to an LSU team that is coached by Brian Kelly, who um, personal feelings aside, he is a pretty solid coach, uh, but they were able to put this game away pretty quickly. And that is what you see playoff teams do. And I think Florida has Florida state has firmly put themselves in the playoff uh, seat for the ACC. Obviously now they've got to finish it out and not pull a Clemson, but (laughs) I feel pretty confident that Jordan Travis is the real deal. That offense is the real deal. And man, Jared verse, I personally watched him when he was at Albany, you know, give Syracuse headaches. Uh, He has turned himself into a hell of a player and he was giving the LSU offensive line fits uh, that man is going to cause havoc all season long. <laughs> yeah, Florida State, as, as you said, they did what playoff teams do in that second half, and they just put the game away. It was pretty amazing to see. And as you said, Florida State right now, they look like a playoff team. They look like the ACC's best shot at a playoff team. And they exposed LSU. We were talking last week on our show. I thought Florida, personally, I thought Florida State would win but maybe by a field goal. I thought it'd be a close game throughout. And again, for the first half, that's what it was looking like. And then the Knowles just pulled away. Jordan Travis looks like he could be a Heisman contender. And uh, Keon Coleman, the relationship between those two, that looks like it is going to be just a superstar pairing. Steve Young, Jerry Rice level type stuff uh, this season. Obviously, it's early, but wow, did they get a steal with Keon Coleman? Jordan Travis looks legit. And Florida State, I know they've talked about getting out of the ACC. They complain about all that. And we'll talk about realignment later this uh, episode. But Florida State really making the ACC look good and sort of carrying the banner in this one that the fifth ranked team in the nation, one of the prides of the sec lsu and they go in and florida state makes them look silly they make them look small and mike norvell makes brian kelly look small again a one of the top coaches in the country and florida state just by all accounts played the better game they had the better coaching the seminoles they carried the banner for the acc in in a very impressive way yeah and if if you're somebody if you're florida state like this is where you've been trying to get back to a lot of the rhetoric around Florida state and the ACC hasn't really been there since the Jameis Winston team. And even that team, uh, you know, didn't ultimately end on the best note. Um, So you've, it's been a while since Florida state has been in a position to make the ACC look this good. And I think, what you've seen Mike Norvell do is what he's done at previous stops. He's utilized transfers to round out a really well-recruited roster. And he is in a position where this is not just a team that has, you know, a Heisman candidate in Jordan Travis, but they have so many other really solid pieces that create matchup problems. Um, You were talking about Keon Coleman, uh, but you know, Johnny Wilson had a hell of a game, uh, seven catches for 104 yards. He's six, seven two, you know, two thirty-seven. Uh, he might not necessarily have the quickness or the explosiveness that a lot of these, uh, the rest of the Florida wide receiver room has, uh, but you can use his size to create mismatches and open up the field. And you have a quarterback in Jordan Travis who can make those kinds of complex multi-level reads. And I think that, you know, my, my takeaway from this team not just the fact that it, they look so impressive beating LSU, but the fact that Jordan Travis did not look small in that moment. He really rose to the occasion. And we, we had talked about it last week in the preview show. Uh, Florida State's going to go as far as Jordan Travis will take them. And I think that Jordan Travis showed that he can take them all the way to the final game of the season. Um, it's just going to be a matter of, you know, how can FSU leverage all of these offensive weapons uh, based off of the matchup in front of them? Absolutely. And and Jordan Travis looked great. Florida State looks really good. And just a, an incredible start for the Seminoles in what is, again, originally was Florida State, Clemson, sort of a collision course. Now Florida State looks like not just the best team in the ACC, but one of the best teams in the country. Let's talk about another matchup. 
where the ACC embarrassed the SEC and got to the ACC, got to pound their chest a little bit. This was the battle for Carolina, North Carolina versus South Carolina. The game was played in Charlotte. A lot of Gamecock fans there, but UNC won 31 to 17, and it was not particularly close. Come the second half, North Carolina just ran away with it. South Carolina had a field goal in the fourth quarter, but that was their only score in the entirety of the second half. What did you think about this statement from the Tar Heel? Uh, I we I think if you are a national college football fan, uh, you're looking at the Pac-12 as having the reigning Heisman winner. They've got Kyle Penix out there. like They've got a lot of Bo Nix. Uh, the Pac-12 has all these quarterbacks that could compete for the Heisman Trophy. Uh, I think that that attention needs to be turned to the ACC because Drake May really balled out here. Uh, I did not think that UNC had the horses to keep up with South Carolina in the way that they did. I didn't think that they could blow blow this game out because I wasn't sure if Drake May had enough weapons to throw the ball to. Um, but he did a fantastic job of spreading the ball out. Like there's uh, at least eight or nine players on this uh, box score that I'm looking at who had a reception and he found his favorite target. Uh, Kobe Pesor ended up with seven targets. Uh, the six, five sophomore was not the big name, uh, but Drake may has a safety net. And then uh, UNC was able to get uh, over a hundred yards rushing on the ground as well. So I think what you saw with UNC is that, as long as Drake may plays like an NFL quarterback, this offense is going to be able to put up points. And most importantly for UNC is that they held Spencer Rattler in check, no passing touchdowns. Uh, all of us, uh, USC's uh, uh, points came on the ground. I think that the UNC defense might have finally turned this mythical corner that we've been hearing them talk about for years. <laughs> Yeah, that's been the thing, is that North Carolina, we know the offense is good. We know Drake May is good, but can the defense be there? That's going to be the key. And it looked like it against a good quarterback in Spencer Rattler, which should be a pretty good offense in an SEC program. And the Tar Heels just looked very, very good. It's going to be interesting because now North Carolina is looking like they could be the second best team in the ACC. And yet again, this is the second matchup in a row we're talking about where you've got an SEC school and an ACC school. And by all accounts, the SEC is the better conference. And yes, they've got Georgia. And yes, they even have Alabama. But the ACC, they in these two matchups, they really showed that the ACC should not be dismissed, that it's not just the SEC and not just the Big Ten that the ACC still has really good football in Florida state in North Carolina. And then in some of these other games and teams that we'll talk about, but it was pretty fun as, as a two fans of ACC programs, it was pretty cool to see in both of these matchups, the ACC had a statement victory against the supposed best conference in the country. Yeah. I think that there's a lot made about the SEC size and the SEC style of play and the ACC doesn't necessarily have a defined, you know, thing the way that these other conferences do. Um, but I think what you're seeing with the ACC is that it's not necessarily the most NFL ready, but you see across the board that every team in the ACC is sending kids to the pros on a pretty consistent level at this point in time. Um, and I think what we saw in this UNC game is – no, they might not have the stereotypical SEC size, but they had the size where it matters. They had their offensive line played solid, their defensive trenches played well enough. Um, and where UNC, where FSU can really beat you is at the skill positions and at the quarterback position. And uh, when you are going to win the quarterback matchup, nine times out of ten, you're probably going to win that game. Uh, and I am here for watching. Um, these guys ball out all season long. I think it's going to be fantastic to get to watch Jordan Travis, Drake May uh, really light up on a national level. And then I think that there's other quarterbacks in this conference that we'll probably talk about a little bit later who might not be on that level, but are just as good, just as exciting. I agree. It's cool to see these quote unquote skill position players really ball out. And that's happened in the past in the ACC. And it looks like it's going to continue. Yeah, they might not have the top recruits on the defensive line that 
come out of Georgia and South Carolina and Tennessee and Texas that some of the SEC schools might get. They might not have the size of the offensive linemen that come out of Minnesota and Wisconsin and go to the Big Ten schools. But at the skill positions, at quarterback, at wide receiver, at running back, they have some incredibly talented people across the conference, and it's really fun to see. There was another game within the conference, Louisville versus Georgia Tech. This was a Friday night game. We talked about this last week as two programs rebuilding. But, Andy, Louisville looked like they're rebuilding a little bit quicker. They ended up winning that game 39-34. to And what was at halftime, a 28-13 to lead for Georgia Tech quickly became a 39 to 28 lead for Louisville. They went on a massive run in the third and fourth quarter. Georgia tech had a garbage time touchdown with just over a minute to go. But both teams, it was, it was even for a good chunk, at least somewhat. And then Louisville just ran away with it down the stretch. Louisville might be better than, than we thought. Yeah. I think, I think that there's, a lot of different ways you could potentially look at this game. I thought that Georgia Tech acquitted itself really well until it started making the same Georgia Tech mistakes that they've made for the last few years where just really sloppy special teams play. They were giving uh, Louisville really short fields to work with, both in punts and in kickoffs, which you can't do in a game like this. Um, the penalties were, were not great. And I think that we're in a situation where I don't think Georgia Tech is going to be as much of a rollover as we anticipated. And I think that Louisville definitely has something going here with Jack Plummer. I'm I'm very hesitant to say that either of these teams is really playing their way into that middle class of ACC teams that sits below the top four. Uh, but I do think that if you are somebody who has to go on the road and play one of these teams – it's probably going to be a bit more challenging of a game than you anticipated. Um, you know, Louisville had uh, Jahar Jordan, who is a former Syracuse transfer who transferred to Louisville a few years ago. Um, Jordan rushed for 96 yards on just seven carries and a touchdown. He's a 5'10", 185, like typical Louisville back coming out of that backfield, both in the passing game and in the rushing game uh, that can, that can cause damage. And I think we saw that Louisville is going to put up points. They're also going to give up a lot of points. And uh, you just better be ready for a track meet. And as we've talked about, the better teams in this conference will be able to do that. It's just a matter of, you know, the Virginia Techs of the world, the Dukes, uh, the Wake Forests. Do they have the horses to kind of keep up with a Louisville team that seems very intent on pushing tempo all season long? It'll be a really fun style of play to watch throughout this season. There's one more yeah. game we want to talk about, and that is we, we mentioned the ACC looking really good. We mentioned UNC beating South Carolina. We mentioned Florida State beating LSU. There was one game that didn't make the ACC look so great. That was Boston College at home losing to Northern Illinois 27-24 to in overtime. The fact that it even got to overtime was somewhat of a surprise. Boston College was down 21-7 to in the fourth quarter. They did get a touchdown to uh, bring themselves to a one-score game, and then with just under two minutes left, they did get another touchdown to bring it to overtime, but they did lose to the NIU Huskies. Andy... How hot is, is Jeff Halfley's seat at this point? I mean, it's it's getting to the point where I remember people when Halfley was first hired in that first season uh, looking at Syracuse and saying, oh, man, if BC can do this, why can't Syracuse do this? And Jeff Halfley is, you know, this the new hot Northeast coach. And that team was built almost entirely through the transfer portal. And ever since then, Halfley's been unable to replicate that that ability to get talent through the portal. And he certainly hasn't been able to recruit talent. And so you're just looking at a situation where this to where this program is really bereft of anything that really feels like uh, it can right this ship. Like I uh, we're not really going to preview this game, but they're playing Holy Cross this week. Holy Cross is the fourth ranked FCS school in the entire country. They're projected to go to the FCS playoffs and be a problem. I think Holy Cross might beat BC this week. Oh boy. Uh, it's, it's not really a road game for Holy Cross. Boston college is obviously reeling and they're going to try to, you know, do their best to recover. 
but I think Holy Cross is going to give them a hell of a game. And that if that happens, I think we're sitting here wondering like, okay, does BC have enough money to make the Halfley buyout work? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think if they lose to Holy Cross, he might be fired that week. I think regardless, I, I don't see any chance he's back next season unless they somehow turn around in a major way. But I think there's a decent chance that he is fired mid season because his first year solid. It was during COVID. They went six and five. Uh, 10 of those games were in the ACC. They went five and five. That's a good first year. And then his second year, they go six and six overall two and six in the conference last year, three and nine overall two and six in the conference. This year's looking bad in your fourth year. If you're still at the bottom of the ACC, there's there just aren't too many excuses. I think it's only a matter of time until Jeff Halfley is gone. To me, it's just a question of will it be after the season? Will it be maybe with one week to go in the season so they get a jump start? We've seen that in recent years. Or is it early? We don't see too many early season firings in college football or even midseason necessarily. It's a surprise when it happens. I would not be surprised if he gets fired midseason, especially if they lose to Holy Cross, this could get ugly real fast, I think. And, you know, BC gets a nice reprieve after playing Holy Cross. They they only have to play Florida State. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not is, looking great. It's it, They are in a heap of trouble. Um, and again, uh, they signed Halfley to a five-year extension uh, in 2021, so regardless of what happens, BC is more than likely having to pay out the remainder of that contract, which runs through 2026, so, which is not what you want if you're uh, Boston College. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a lot of money. I, I know it's a private school. I know they've got some money up there in Massachusetts, but a lot of money I don't think they really want to have to dole out, but they might have to. Uh, before exactly. we break, let's talk about just or let's just run through some of the other scores. Wake Forest beat Elon 37 to 17. NC State beat UConn in stores 24 to 14. Miami beat Miami of Ohio in the battle for naming rights 38 to 3. Pitt beat Wofford 45 to 7. Virginia lost to Tennessee, unsurprisingly, 49 to 13. Syracuse pitched a shutout against Colgate 65 to nothing. Virginia Tech was not surprised by Old Dominion this year. They won that 36 to to 17 and those were the scores around the ACC yeah I I think that it was overall uh, aside from the games we talked about pretty uh, on par and this week two slate is vastly more interesting for the ACC a lot of really weird matchups that I think could lead us to draw a lot of really solid conclusions about teams that we haven't talked about yet. So, so I'm excited to dive to jump into it. Well, let's jump into it right after this break. We'll be back in just a moment. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab grown diamond bands, all hand finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Okay, we are back here on Action Packed with Andy Pregler and Corey Cohen. Thrilled to be talking about all this. We're going to talk about the previews in just a moment. But first, we mentioned it last week, but it is now official. The realignment has realigned. And the ACC now, now finds itself with three new member universities starting next year. Stanford. Cal Berkeley and SMU officially joining the Atlantic coast conference in 2024. I think both of us were sort of mixed on this last week. Now that this is official, Andy, have you talked yourself into this? Are you hyped? There is no level of excitement around this move, uh, <laughs> but I will say that I think it is going to be interesting to see the logistical hurdles that come out of this. 
Uh, it sounds like based off of early reports that every team is going to have to go out West at least once. It sounds like Texas might become a really common ACC Olympic sport location. Uh, there's a lot of really weird aspects of this that I think could work in the long run if the ACC is smart. Uh, but Again, this all feels very rushed. This all feels very reactionary. I'm not sure if we're going to have any finite details on anything until, you know, this academic year actually wraps. Yeah, so here's what we do know. We know that Cal and Stanford will start by taking a 30%. They'll take 30% of the TV revenue that the other schools would make or that they should be making under the contract. So essentially... ESPN, the ACC's television partner, is going to add the same amount for all three schools that the current ACC schools are making. But Stanford and Cal will only accept 30% of that. The rest will go to the current ACC schools. SMU will take none of that. For nine years, they will not take a penny of TV revenue money. That will all go into a pot that will be distributed based on athletic success. And we mentioned last week, this is because of desperation. SMU is desperate. Even Cal and Stanford are desperate. And so they're going to come into the ACC. Overall, I've actually sort of talked myself into it. I think it's far from ideal, but the money will go up. All the current ACC schools will make more. It's not going to stop Florida State and maybe the other programs, but especially Florida State from complaining about the money. But for all the other schools, they will make more. For the Pitts and the Syracuses and the Boston Colleges, they'll all make some more money. And that's never a bad thing when you talk about trying to compete in college sports. I think on a football level, it's not too bad. I think SMU can compete if they're in the ACC and they could become a reputable program. I think Stanford maybe could get back to close to where they were, to being a, a solid football team. I don't know about Cal necessarily, but I think, and also on the football level, yes, teams will go out to California, but I think they said it'll only be once every other year that a team will have to go out West. So that's honestly not too bad because when you talk about football, once every two years, a trip to the Bay Area, honestly, not too shabby. Like that, that's not the end of the world. You get one flight out there, the football team, maybe you send the band and the cheerleaders and all that, but that's not too bad. What really sucks is for the Olympic athletes, this is going to be brutal for them. As you said, a lot of times they might have to fly teams into Dallas and then have the California schools meet there and sort of play a round robin over a weekend. It's far from ideal. Getting Stanford in the Olympic sports is great. They're a phenomenal athletic department. Cal is very good also. SMU, eh. So from an, I, I feel very bad for the Olympic athletes. But from a football perspective, and even basketball to some extent, I don't think this is going to be terrible. Financially, I think it helps. You now have more money. You've now got a foothold in television sets, in recruiting, in two of the three biggest states for recruiting, Texas and California. And it becomes maybe a little bit easier for the current ACC schools to recruit there. Florida's already there. Now you've got Texas, California, three of the biggest states in terms of population, three of the biggest states in terms of recruiting. It's not ideal, but I've sort of come around that, okay, this is, it was better to do it than to not do it. And so because of that, I'm on board. Welcome Stanford. Welcome Cal. Welcome SMU. Starting next year, we'll be talking about you. This will be your home uh, to listen to all things ACC. And uh, even though it's far from the Atlantic Conference, welcome. Yeah. Yeah. We are officially now at the uh, all coast conference level, not, not just the Atlantic coast. Uh, it'll be definitely interesting to see how that rebranding, if anything actually uh, takes place. But regardless, I do think that this is a net good for the ACC. It's just a matter of, um, are you fully on board with realignment taking away and, and messing around with all these different um, you know, regionality things that we used to have. Yeah. Or like, look, ACC need to do this for the money. I think that adding these programs isn't the worst thing in the world. And I am interested to see 
especially this season. Um, Stanford is putting up a lot of points and doing some weird things in the Pac-12 in a fun way. Mm-hmm. Cal might be a six-win bowl team for the first time in a while here. If they were to time their turnarounds with ACC entrances, it would be a net positive for the conference. Absolutely. I think ACC people are rooting for them to at least be good and respectable football programs. And while it's unclear, that's what everyone's hoping for. And maybe early this season, it's looking pretty good. I'm with you. The regionality part of it, it sucks. But to me, that that went out the window a while ago. The fact that Pitt's rivals, main rivals for football, sorry to the sort of forced Pitt-Syracuse rivalry, but... <laughs> Uh, you know, Pitt, West Virginia, Pitt, Penn State, none of the three are in the same conference. It sucks. The Big Ten poached schools in Los Angeles. Once that happened, it was dead. It, there was no, at least with the the Big Ten adding schools in New Jersey and Maryland. Yeah, you can kind of see it. The SEC adding schools in Texas and Oklahoma. You can kind of see it. Once the Big Ten went out to California, it was over. And then this most recent round with getting Washington and Oregon, it, it was done. Any regionality, any fit, that was over. And it just became about, okay, add programs that you think is are going to make you more stable and make you more money. That's what the ACC did here. It's far from ideal, but they did something. They now have more members who are not taking a full pay cut. And who knows, maybe Stanford, Cal, and SMU will turn it around, be good football programs, and it'll look like a steal for the ACC. It'll look like a coup. We don't know that yet. But it is the reality of where things are now. Nothing is regional. And so the ACC did what they had to do. They got these programs. And, yeah, starting next year, we'll be we'll be talking about them a lot more. But for now, we won't be talking about Stanford, Cal, or SMU just yet. We're going to be talking about the schools currently in the ACC. Let's talk about week two with some previews for this upcoming week. We'll go in chronological order starting at noon on Saturday. Number 10, Notre Dame goes into Raleigh, NC State hosting the Fighting Irish. Andy, what do you think of this matchup? You know, this was one of those games that I thought preseason would be an early test for Notre Dame. I still think that it could be, but NC State looked like they were really struggling against a UConn team that I think might be squirrely this year, but I don't think is by any means, you know, a a good program. And I think that Brennan Armstrong and Robert and I, the reunion did not look as advertised in that game. Uh, I think that there's there is a world where this game is competitive for most of the game and it's going to require Brennan Armstrong and Robert and I being far more efficient through the air and um, relying less on Brennan Armstrong's legs on every single down. I'm not sure that that's a likely outcome at this point. Notre Dame obviously had the big week zero game uh, against, against Navy over in Ireland. So we'll see this feels like a more traditional game, but I, I think that Notre Dame is probably going to handle you uh, NC state pretty easily here. And I think we'll start officially worrying about whether this offensive experiment is actually working or not. I'm in agreement with you. I think NC state can be decent, but Notre Dame actually looks legit under Marcus Freeman. I, I wasn't sure last year is a little bit iffy for a bit there. And again, it's still early this year and this game could, tell us a lot but i know it's week zero i know it was in dublin ireland but navy shouldn't be a bad football team and they made them look silly 42 to 3 it was not remotely close i think notre dame is actually legit not legit enough to be national championship contenders but i think they're back to where notre dame generally generally always is They'll be somewhere in the five to 15 range, a really good team. They'll probably go something like nine and three, maybe 10 and two and be in the conversation. I'm in agreement with you. I think Notre Dame handles this and and NC state doesn't get particularly close. Another game. That's interesting. You mentioned an FCS team in Holy cross going up to Boston college or playing at Boston college. This is a former FCS team in James Madison, playing Virginia and Virginia is actually the underdog in this one. James Madison, the favorites. What do you think about that? It's pretty wild. 
It is, but uh, James Madison has been building a really solid program. Um, they were an FCS power for years, and um, this is a, this is a program that has a rich football tradition and is now in the Sun Belt Conference. They are uh, as part of the move from FCS to Division One, One uh, A. You know, uh, playoff football. They are not allowed to participate in the postseason. So what we saw last year was a James Madison team that would have been bowl eligible, that would have participated in a decent matchup. Um, And uh, this year, again, they're not allowed to do that. And so you see them taking these regular season games very seriously. And this is one of those games for them. Like if you're James Madison beating UVA, now that you are officially, you know, at that, at that level, the same level as UVA, uh, I think, means a lot to them and i think we knew that uva was going to struggle this year i thought that they looked fine in the first quarter against tennessee before tennessee really opened up opened it up on them um but i i would not be surprised if the bookmakers are right and i think james madison has a really good shot to beat them not just because i think james madison is just as good as virginia but i think that when you're talking about what does this game mean to james madison this is one of their biggest games on the season that they're going to play. I completely agree. I think James Madison, I know I mentioned that it's wild and it's kind of crazy, but I think they are right to be favored in this. I think Virginia is, this is just going to be a tough year for them. And James Madison is a good program. They're getting to the point when people were talking about realignment and they said, Oh, in a future, if Clemson and North Carolina and Florida state and someone else leaves, Virginia leaves, what should the ACC do in terms of reloading? And people were actually talking about James Madison. And it's kind of wild because they were very recently an FCS program, but they are really building that athletic department up. And just as it was not too surprising last year to see Old Dominion beat Virginia Tech, I would not be surprised this year if James Madison beat Virginia. I think some of those schools in Virginia in North Carolina, App State last year, another one. They can surprise you. These these southern schools, smaller schools, they've got a chip on their shoulder. I'm with you. I think James Madison can absolutely win this one, and I think they're right to be favored. I just talked about Virginia Tech last year losing to Old Dominion. This year they beat them. Well, this year, this week, they're playing a team that suffered a tough loss of their own. Virginia Tech hosting Purdue a team that just lost to Fresno state in week one, 39 to 35 was the final score. Fresno state won it with a touchdown under a minute to go. So Purdue coming off an embarrassing loss and now you've got Virginia tech hosting them. What do you think about this big 10 ACC battle? I mean, Purdue is really working their way around the middle class of the ACC because they have Virginia tech this week and they have Syracuse next week. Um, I I think that Virginia Tech is a program that I don't have a good read on right now. Um, it's a little bit unclear to me if this is a team that is on the rebound or if this is just a middle a middling team uh, in the ACC. Um, you know, Bill C, uh, Bill Connolly's SP Plus has Virginia Tech ranked 65th, which is right in the dang middle, um, uh, and I think that that is about accurate. Purdue is ranked 64th, so this is as close of a toss-up game as you can potentially get this early in the season. And I think that we'll learn a lot about Virginia Tech because if you win this game, if you're able to kind of defend your home turf, you're able to build momentum early in the season in a challenging game, You know, we might be talking about Virginia Tech getting back to a bowl this year. Um, On the flip side of this, Purdue is running a gauntlet of a non-conference schedule and yeah, losing to Fresno state is not what you want, but Fresno state's a good program. Um, they probably not going to be world beaters by any stretch of the imagination, but I think Fresno state is about what you're going to get in the middle of the ACC. And so, uh, Purdue really struggled at home with them. I think Virginia tech has a chance here to, to get not necessarily a statement win, but a proof of concept win that, that there is some positives finally happening in Blacksburg. Yeah, I like how you put that, a proof of concept win. This is a tricky one because I'm with you. I think Brent Pry, we're still not sure if this program is actually on its way back up or just kind of middling. I'm leaning towards middling, but it's tough to tell. This game will be at noon. 
in Blacksburg. So we'll see. Enter Sandman. You know, they'll be going, but it's not going to be the biggest atmosphere on a noon game against Purdue, especially with Purdue having just lost. I think Purdue might come in with a chip on their shoulder. I know it doesn't make sense, but I think Purdue might win this one. I think they win one of their next two. I don't think they start 0-3. So it's do they win at Virginia Tech or at home against Syracuse? Even though the beating Syracuse might make more sense because it's at home, I kind of think they have a lot to prove after the loss to Fresno State. They might come out there and and get a pretty solid win, a bounce-back win against Virginia Tech. I think this will be a, a very good game, actually, with two decent, not great programs. But in my mind, this one this one should be very interesting. I would not at all be surprised if Purdue comes out there and gets the victory. Another game that will be coming up in the ACC slate this weekend at 3.30 on ABC, 23rd-ranked Texas A&M goes to Miami Gardens to take on the Hurricanes. Andy, what do you think of this game? I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think that it's a really intriguing matchup um, from a schematic standpoint here. You've got a Miami team and a Texas A&M team that both played relatively easy, you know, week one opponents, but took care of them very handily. And now you've got this new look Texas A&M offense going up against a Miami defense that has some really skilled defensive backs uh, and could cause some problems. And on the flip side of that, you're asking Miami offense that has been woefully inconsistent to do so against an SEC defense. Uh, I think that this sets up a lot in the same ways that the other matchups that we talked about in the recap portion of the show do, where I like Miami a little bit more than I like Texas A&M right now. Um, but a lot of that's just going to come down to um, is same, same issues that we kind of talked about before. Um, does Miami have a lot of, have they turned the page? Have they turned the corner? Do they have their old issues under wraps? Um, Van Dyke is not a quarterback that I, you know, would trust out of all the other ACC quarterbacks that I have at my disposal. (laughs) But I think Tyler Van Dyke is in that category where if he's right, if he's healthy, if he's taken that next step, I think he's in that tier below Drake May and Jordan Travis of very good, capable of winning you big games if if put in the right situation. I'm with you. I think Tyler Van Dyke is a good, not great quarterback. But it's interesting. So you said you like Miami a little bit more than Texas A&M in this, yeah? Yeah, I think I think when it just comes down to it, uh, there's still so many unknowns that Texas A&M is working out in terms of you know new coordinators on both sides of the ball, and this is such a at at some point. Either Miami is going to have the talent to actually live up to their hype, or they or Mario Cristobal is going to just be the guy that gets in a bunch of big names and doesn't do anything with them. And I think that on paper, Miami is just as talented, you know, blue chip recruit for blue chip recruit as Texas AM. It's just a matter of these are two programs that have done very little with a lot. <laughs> That's a yeah, that is very true. They have so much money, so much recruiting talent, and they haven't accomplished too much. I think Texas AM wins this, I would say, by six or seven. Right now they're favored by four and a half. But I agree that it's gonna tell us a lot. This will tell us if if Miami is legit and a pretty good team in the ACC, one of the better teams in the ACC, or they're just a middling ACC team. I think this will also tell us a decent amount about Texas A&M. I'm certainly rooting for Miami. I am not a fan of Texas A&M. Some weird vibes come out of College Station. Uh, and uh, similar vibes for me as a, as a pit guy coming out of Penn State to come out of College Station. Not my thing. So I'm certainly rooting for Miami for the conference. And we'll see. That should be a really fun game. And then uh, to round out the games that look to be close, entertaining, bigger matchups at 6:30 on the CW, the new ACC partnership with the CW. The Cincinnati Bearcats come to Pittsburgh. They will play Pitt in the renewal of the River City rivalry. This is now a Big 12 versus ACC matchup in what used to be a Big East matchup. Andy, what are you looking at for this? 
I think this is going to be a great test of the pit offense. Uh, I have no doubt that the pit defense is going to be able to hold the UC offense in check for most of the game. I do think that Cincinnati is going to get some points. Uh, I don't think they're going to put up very many points. But the question that I've had about Pitt this entire year is I think Pitt has an elite defense and I don't know what's going on with that offense and beating up on Wofford is not going to make me feel one way thing or the other. Um, So for me, this is the first game where we're really looking at this Pitt offense going, you know, is this a team now that Clemson's lost? Is this a team that has a good enough offense to complement this defense and make their way to the ACC title game? Or is this another traditional Pitt team where if the game is not, 16 to 10 uh Pitt's just not going to be able to score enough points to win the game yeah so obviously this, this is my account you can find me over at, at pit talk <laughs> network and i really don't know what to think about this game i do think it'll be close but i'm not sure if it'll be really low scoring and the offense looks like a dud or if they can put up some points phil jerkovic the transfer many acc fans might know him formerly of boston college He's now at Pitt with his former offensive coordinator, Frank Signetti Jr. at Boston College. We couldn't really tell much against Wofford. Some throws he didn't look great, and then others he looked really good. He looked a bit somewhat mobile. That We're not sure how much that's going to be the case against better competition than Wofford. The receivers, they looked good. Bub Means, Kenate Mumfield, Gavin Bartholomew, but we just don't know. The running backs look really good, but we're not sure about the usage in terms of Rodney Hammond and Sebo Flemister and some of the other guys. So there's just so, so many question marks. I agree with you. I think the defense is legit. They looked great last year, the year before. They looked great against Wofford, even though that doesn't say too much. But the offense, I'm with you. It's a big question mark. I think this game is going to tell us a lot about Pitt. And if they can compete, now that the second slot to the ACC championship game might be wide open. This is just projecting, but if Florida state can run the table and they look like far and away, the best team. Now there's a chance without Clemson necessarily in the mix, that North Carolina Pitt, Duke, even some other programs could battle to get in the mix. Pitt could have a real shot to making an ACC championship, a game game yet again, but they have to look good against teams like Cincinnati and the offense has to put up points. I'm not confident in it, but I do think Pitt gets maybe a four-point win at home. I think it'll be an interesting game, though, and I I do think a lot of these games we're saying they're going to tell us a lot. I think this is yet another. We will learn a ton from this game. Yeah, I think think this is probably, you know, there's an old adage in college football that there's no greater improvement than between weeks one and two, and I think that for a lot of teams uh, this week is going to be proof of, you know, how, how much can they improve and how much does that change our outlook as we look at the ACC as a whole? And I, and I think that's really exciting. Absolutely. So uh, the other games happening in the ACC, Louisville on Thursday night hosting Murray State at 730. Wake Forest hosting Vanderbilt Saturday at 11 a.m. That is on the ACC network. Boston College, you mentioned earlier, hosting Holy Cross at noon. Virginia Tech, or excuse me, Georgia Tech hosting SC State at one o'clock. Clemson hosting Charleston Charleston Southern at 2.15. Syracuse hosting Western Michigan at 3.30. Watch out for them because Pitt lost to them a couple years ago. So <laughs> don't make the same mistake that we did. That'll be at 3.30. Uh, North Carolina hosting App State. That is on at 5.15. Duke hosting Lafayette at 6. And rounding out the weekend, Florida State hosting Southern Miss at 8.30. So before we wrap things up here, Andy, let's talk top five in our ACC power rankings. How do you want to do this? You want to go back and forth, whatever you want. Well, I think both of us are going to have the same number one team. So I think we start there (laughs) and then we, and then we go from there. I think, I think both of us are looking at the Knowles sitting in that number one spot that they're going to hold on to for a very long time. Absolutely. Without a doubt, Florida state number one. Uh, number two, I have UNC. I, I think that they acquitted themselves well. And again, I think Drake may is the one of the best quarterbacks in the country, if not the ACC. Completely agree. UNC second. I think they look really good. And now this is where it gets fun because (laughs) how far do you drop Clemson? For me, I am going to put Clemson, uh, behind i know this is going to be sacrilege here this is my first really big hot take but 
I'm going to put them behind Pitt for right now. Um, I think that that's a little bit, I think it's a little aggressive for sure on my part, but uh, Pitt right now has a roster and a game plan that could beat Clemson in a neutral site matchup. Um, I feel pretty content that the Pitt defense would keep uh, Cade Klubnick and that offense in check, and you wouldn't need to do a whole lot on on offense in order to uh, put up some points. So I think if you, I think if they were to meet, I would pick Pitt right now. I'm actually in complete agreement. I have Pitt above Clemson because I think that they would play a similar game that Duke did, and Duke won that handily. Again, even if you talk about neutral site, who's better? I, I think Pitt at the moment, they beat Clemson last year. I, I Right now, Clemson, I know they have a ton of talent. I know they can turn it around. I wouldn't even be shocked if they come out against Florida State and look amazing. And it was just one weird, bad game. But at the moment, I've got Clemson fifth in my power rankings, and I have Pitt above them at fourth. Wow. There you go. So uh, so break it down for me. Who do you have uh, at three behind uh, Florida State and North Carolina. I've got the team that just beat Clemson. I've got the Duke Blue Devils at third in my power rankings. That might be my hot take, but they proved it on the field. I don't know if it'll last, but they looked good. They handled Clemson well. Mike Elko looks like a great coach. Right now, I've got Duke number three. Wow. I was going to say I was going to put Clemson number four and then put Duke number five, um, mostly because I still think that Clemson is – uh has more talent they have more upside than duke does um but i think at this point we have to give duke the respect uh that they they've played their way into the power rankings things are going to get really interesting if all these teams we mentioned win and miami beats texas a&m because then we're then we really have to start narrowing down and cutting good teams off this list i like that we're doing top five i I think that's a really good number where this is going to be difficult for us as you said miami wins this is going to be a tough segment next week yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to uh having, you know, making other ACC fan bases angry as <laughs> we leave leave them off of our top 5s. <laughs> That will do it for this episode of Action Packed leading up into week two. Really fun episode. Really loving that we're getting to talk about ACC football. Andy Pregler, please tell the people where they can find you, follow you, your network, all of that good stuff. Yeah, head over to uh, X, Twitter, whatever. Follow me on, uh, follow me at AC Pregler. And i uh, going to start plugging my sub stack. That's back up and running. That's where all the socials will be. That's where I'm posting all the links to my fans First Nation podcast. Um, as well as doing some weekly Syracuse football recaps, acpregler.substack.com. Excellent. And I am Corey Cohen. You can find me on Twitter at Corey E. Cohen, C-O-R-E-Y-E-C-O-H-E-N. You can also find the Pit Talk Network on Twitter at Pit Talk Network. You can find myself on Blue Sky at Corey Cohen. You can find Pit Talk on Blue Sky. You can find me on Threads, wherever. If you search Corey Cohen, you could probably find me online if you want to. And uh, if you're looking for uh, Pit Talk, then by all means, search for Pit Talk Network wherever you get your podcasts. Also, please subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast to the FFSN College Football Feed because that's where this podcast is. That's where Andy's other college fo- nationwide college football podcasts are, my other nationwide college football podcasts are, and just home for a ton of content on our favorite thing, college football. It's been an exciting start to the year. Really exciting to see what happens in week two. Thank you all so much for listening. We will see you next week. Until then, he's Andy Pregler. I'm Corey Cohen. We'll see you next time on Action Packed.